Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. You've made the best decision you could possibly make by tuning your ear to the Word of God. I would love to invite you to stay updated with us on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at Revival House Church. Father, bless this person and let the seed of the Word multiply 30, 60, and 100 times over in Jesus' name. I was in prayer before we went on our Galveston retreat, and I was asking the Lord, Lord, what would you like me to preach on? And, and he put it in my spirit. He said, I want you to go through the book of Revelation, and I want you to read the seven letters that he wrote to the churches. Jesus, through the apostle John, wrote to the churches. And he said, I want you to highlight what I can commend and what I condemn. There's things Jesus commends, and there's things Jesus condemns. Right? Commend just basically means he approves, he's happy, he claps his hand, he says, good job, that's the way it should be, son. That's the way it should be, daughter. That's what it means to commend or things that he condemns. And so in Revelation chapter 1, this gets set up where Jesus appears to the apostle John and he says, write the seven letters to the seven churches. And so... There's a few different applications to this. Number one, literal application. If you're taking notes, this is just good for you to know to interpret this. There was a literal application. What does that mean? These seven letters, they were seven physical churches in Asia Minor at that time. Seven literal cities that the apostle John was writing to. Okay, so there was a literal application. There was a personal. There's a personal application. Say personal. As I was studying on, on this passage a couple weeks ago, and God put it in my spirit, I came across something that was so profound to me. It was in Finnis Dake's study Bible. He made some notes on, on Revelation, and he said, each Christian should read these letters no differently than we read Paul's letters. Everybody would probably think, well, duh, John, right? You read the whole Bible. You don't read it differently. But I'm telling you, Christians really do separate it. Christians really do separate the book of Revelation. And in fact, you're going to see the first letter that was written was written to the church of Ephesus. Anybody think that name sounds a little familiar? Ephesus, Ephesian to the Ephesian church. This was Jesus' Christ, Jesus Christ's letter to the Ephesian church. So you should read it along with, if you're going to read the book of Ephesians, I challenge you to do this. Next time you're reading in your Bible study time and you read through the book of Ephesians, go to Revelation chapter 2 and read the letter to the Ephesian church written, spoken by Jesus Christ to the Apostle John and read it along with the book of Ephesians. I'm going to tell you why that's so important, guys, is because we build these false ideas, we build these false theologies, we build these false ideas of who Christ is and what he expects of us as New Testament, New Covenant believers. And then when it comes to this book, the book of Revelation in these seven letters, Christians don't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole because it doesn't line up with what they believe about the rest of the New Testament. Everybody thinks that God's just the love warm and fuzzy blanket God, that it doesn't matter how far you run. There's no mountain you can't run up. He won't come chasing after you. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you stand for. It doesn't matter if you sin or you don't sin. His grace covers all. That's the picture people have of God. But I'm going to tell you, you're going to have a major problem with some of those things when you read these seven letters. 
I know that we don't like to talk about the fear of the Lord. Oh, let's not talk about fear. You don't want people really thinking that they actually got to fear God. No, you should fear God. And in fact, something that's very healthy is you should read these letters and let it put a fear of the Lord on the inside of you. To genuinely, personally apply this, can I answer these questions that we're about to go over, the things that Jesus said, how does that apply to my life? And then there was a prophetic application that these letters were not only written to the church of, of John's day, they're also written to the church of our day. Amen. So, again, as we read through this, I want to challenge you that if this doesn't fit in your New Testament theology, you are absolutely missing it. You're missing it. In fact, something that the Lord's having me do for a while, because you're going to see Jesus said some pretty controversial things. Jesus said some things in these letters that most Christians, if you were to post it on Facebook today, you'd have a, a, an army of religious devils come out and attack you for almost verbatim saying something that Jesus said. Why? It's because they don't know Jesus Christ. They know a man-made false idea, religion, that they've made up, that they've put a, a face to it, they've put a name to it, they call it Jesus, but I'm telling you there's people that Jesus himself said in Matthew 7 that will stand before him and identify him as Lord, but he'll say, depart from me, I never even knew who you were. Can you imagine living your whole life with nothing more than just an idea about Jesus, only to stand before him and figure out your idea about Jesus wasn't the real Jesus, it wasn't really him. You, you never even knew him, he never even knew you. Are y'all with me? So the Lord has me right now. I'm reading through these seven letters again and again and again because, again, if my New Testament theology conflicts with these seven letters, then I need to reinterpret some things, right? The Bible shouldn't clash. It should complement. I posted this on Facebook today, and I think it's funny. I think it's true. I said, a letter to the seven churches a day will keep the demon spirit who comes as an angel of light named tolerance away. <laughs> a letter of, to the seven churches a day will keep the demon spirit who comes as an angel of light named tolerance away, right? Because that's, there's, there is a spirit, and it'll come the Bible says the angel, the devil doesn't come in darkness. He doesn't come in blatant evil. He comes as an angel of light. There is a spirit, there's a deception that comes in the name of unity and tolerance. Let's go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 2. I'm going to pick up in this. I begin to preach this Sunday morning, and Wednesday we have a different crowd Sometimes just people, some people are here, some people aren't here, and I try to shift gears, but the Lord told me just to stay in the same flow. I preached some of this while we were in our Galveston retreat, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said, there's so many people that need to hear it that aren't here, so I want you to preach it again. I preached it last Sunday, but the Lord brought some new revelation out of it, and, and what do you know? I'm preaching on the same thing again tonight because that's what's in my spirit. So Revelation 2. Jesus said, write this letter to the angel, the church in Ephesus. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is a message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. The one who walks amongst the seven gold lampstands. Look what he says. I know all the things that you do. I've seen your hard work. So if you're taking notes, so I'm not going to go over all this because I went over some of it, most of it Sunday, but 
Under things Jesus commends, right? What does Jesus commend of a Christian? You can write hard work. Hard work. Most Christians don't know anything about that. Hard work. And it ain't just going and working hard in your job and in your occupation, which is also very important, I might add. The Bible says that a man that doesn't take care of his family has denied the true faith and is worse than an infidel. Amen. Y'all don't shout me down or nothing. You say, well, duh, John, that seems pretty surface level. No, I've literally had to kick someone out of my church for not listening to that before. (laughs) Told a person, you need to go get a job. Got offended, left, began to make it their life mission to bass this ministry. But the Bible says that. A man that doesn't work doesn't eat. Say hard work. Not only hard work, but specifically hard work in the thing that the Lord's called you to do. What has God called you to do? The Bible says, don't be a fool, but be wise. Understand what the Lord wants you to do and make the most of every opportunity. The next thing he says, I've seen your hard work, your patient endurance. That's another word there, phrase that most Christians today don't know anything about. They don't know anything about patience. They don't know anything about endurance. Two reasons why they don't know anything about endurance is because number one, anytime any pressure comes, they don't endure. They just quit. And then number two, they never take a stand on anything to have to endure anything. Man, they're just fluid. Whatever the way the wind blows, whatever anybody wants to say, they're just pleasing to man. They're over here. They're over there. They're indifferent. And so they never have to endure through anything. I know you don't. Look at this. I know you don't tolerate evil people. I know that you don't tolerate evil people. Write that underneath the list of things that Jesus commends. You don't tolerate evil people. Say it a few more times. You don't tolerate evil people, right? You would think that that's actually something that Jesus would condemn. In this culture, in this day, in this age, if you heard the messages being preached from most pulpits, they would say, you don't tolerate evil people. That's that's wicked. That's unloving. That's unkind. What would Jesus do? He commended the Ephesian church for not tolerating evil people. He says, you have examined the claims of those that say they are apostles, but they are not. You have discovered that they are liars. Say, do not tolerate. tolerate. Y'all, can I tell you, there is such a spirit of compromise in the church in the United States of America. Compromise of sin, compromise of culture, compromise because we don't want to offend anybody, but Jesus expects us and commends us and commands us in his word that we are to not tolerate certain things. What are we not to tolerate? Number one, we're not to tolerate sin. This is kind of a recap, but I'll, I'll, let's think about this. There's some stances that you would take that people would look at you and say, that's so unkind, that's so unloving, I don't want anything to do with that. What are you doing? I'm not tolerating evil people. Look at 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13. Paul said, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people. And this is interesting as well. You ever hear the phrase, hate the sin but love the sinner? You ever hear that? Is that what Jesus just said? You don't tolerate evil deeds. Did he say that? 
No, he said evil people. Say people. You just love the people right through it, and you just hate the sin. Guys, I'm telling you that that's really a sorry excuse for compromise. Don't shoot me down, but I'm going to tell you the, the God-honest truth here. I'm going to tell you whether you like it or you don't. I'm going to tell you the truth. Paul said, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or greedy. Say sexual sin. Say greedy. What is sexual sin? Sexual sin is, is a category of things. Number one, adultery. If you're married to someone and you're having sex with someone else, that's sexual sin. If you're not married and you're having sex with someone that you're not married to, that's fornication. That's sexual sin. If you're homosexual and you're engaging in sex with a person of the same gender, that's sexual sin. If you're watching pornography, Jesus said if even if you lust after a woman with your heart, you've committed adultery. That's sexual sin. Say sexual sin. Say greedy. Say people that cheat people. Worship idols. He said you'd have to leave the world to avoid people like that. I meant you were not to associate. Listen to me. This is the Bible. You are not to associate yourself with someone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin. Let's just stop here. That's not the reality of the church in America. In fact, in the Church of America, we just let whatever go on. We preach watered-down messages where someone can come into our church and be demonized for 15 years and never feel an ounce of conviction. Someone can come into a church in America and still feel right about coming every single Sunday, heck, even serving on the worship team, but then putting the pride flag on their Instagram picture. You cannot tolerate. You can't even associate with people. Who claim, say who claim to be a believer. There needs to be some accountability brought back to this, especially in the United States of America. I'm telling you, when you claim to be a believer, you put yourself in a different category. And we need to stop being so afraid of offending people. I don't want to say anything because what if they don't like what I have to say? What if it hurts their feelings? And what if it's awkward? No, you, sometimes there's some people you need to sit down and say, no, listen, this isn't okay because you claim the name of Jesus. And I'm going to tell you another thing. Because you claim the name of Jesus, you better stop and repent right now. You are not to associate with anyone who claims the believer yet indulges in sexual sin, is greedy, worships idols. Y'all, I mean, you think about greedy. Why don't we really hold the standard up? If you come across a Christian that's greedy, how do you know if a person's greedy? By their fruit. You'll know a tree by its fruit. They got greedy fruit. Are they giving? You, I'm going to tell you right now, and I'll be honest with you, there's people, I won't even... Bible college kids I went to school with, they start talking about how, you know, tithing, it's not in the New Covenant. That's not a New Testament principle. I just don't even want to talk. I don't even want to have a conversation with you because the root of that is you're greedy. You love money, right? The Bible clearly doesn't teach that. Anybody with any ounce of intelligence that reads the Bible with a pure and honest heart to interpret what the Bible says Read the Bible for what it says. Can't come to that conclusion. If you're coming to that conclusion, especially if you've been to Bible college, it's because you have greed in your heart. If you, if, and if that's the place that you've chose to land on, there's nothing I can do. Are y'all with me? Yeah. Say greedy. 
worships idols, is abusive, is drunkard, cheats people. Wow, did you know that you can't be a Christian and worship idols? You can't be a Christian and be abusive. You can't be a Christian and be a drunkard. You can't be a Christian and cheat people. Don't even eat with such people. Say eat with such people. This is an interesting statement. In the culture, in the Middle Eastern culture at this time, you know how you fellowshiped with people? You ate with them. You worked all day. If you wanted to spend time with someone, you'd sit down at a table. That's why Jesus ate with his disciples. He spent much of his time around a table. It was fellowship. It was communion with one another. So basically, what is this saying? Paul is saying don't have any fellowship with someone that claims to be a believer but does these things. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge. Wait, what? It is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sitting. God will judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil persons from among you. When Jesus spoke to the church of Ephesus, he said, I ha- you, I, you have this going for you. You don't tolerate evil people. Thank you for the two amens on this side of the room. Here's another one. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourself. Those who indulge in sexual sin, worship idols, commit adultery, or male prostitutes, practice homosexuality, or thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive, or cheap people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Guys, I'm going to tell you a revelatory statement. You can't be a Christian and do whatever the heck you want to do. And if you even want to do some of these things, you need to get with the Lord and ask, Lord, what's going on that in my heart and in my spirit, I'll even want to, I can, I'm wanting to continue to live in this pattern of life because the Bible says part of the amazing atonement of the cross is being born again. When you're born again, it's literally a new nature that's put on the inside of you. You don't want to cheat people anymore because you have the spirit of God on the inside of you. You don't want to be a drunkard anymore. You don't want to go and, and sneak off to the liquor store and go hide in your basement and, and get drunk. You don't want to do that. You don't want to cheat on your wife or on your husband. You don't want to do that because you have the spirit of the living God that bears witness on the inside of you. The reality is, why would Paul take this hard stand and say, don't even fellowship with those people? Because the church has to hold up the standard. This is what's right. This is what's wrong. There is a clear line in the stand saying, and I love you, but the reality is that if you begin to step on this side, you will not enter into heaven. And it needs to be said, and it needs to be told, and it doesn't need to be tolerated because we're going to tolerate people. We're going to tolerate sin. Tolerate people straight to hell. So he said, you don't tolerate evil people. I could preach on this going on and on and on. Paul said, Romans 16, 17, 
Now I want to make an appeal to you, my brothers and sisters. Watch out for people who cause division and upsets people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you've been taught. What did he say? Stay away from them. Oh, just love them anyways. Just go hang out. Go talk on the phone. Go get together. Go eat a meal. Go chase after them and, and feel sympathetic. No, Paul said stay away from them. Stay away. Hallelujah. If you don't have room for this in your American Christianity, you are too American and not enough Christian. Amen. So, number four, pointed out false apostles. He said here, I know the things that you do. I've seen your hard work, your patient endurance. I know that you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those that say they are apostles, but they are not. You have discovered that they are liars. Oh, my God. Goodness, Jesus just called someone a liar? You call someone a liar in 2022, and you're not Christ-like. Really? He said, no, you've examined them and identified them as liars. We need to get boldness back in the church, be able to call things for what they are. An angel's an angel, the Lord's the Lord, and a demon's a demon. Amen. I'm sorry if that offends you. I hope it offends you, right, to, to asking the Lord about it and, and him getting a hold of your heart to show you that. Isn't it all the same, right? That's what we want to just teach is this universalism doctrine. It's all the same. All doctrines are the same. All churches are the same. All preaching's the same. People get saved. It doesn't matter what church you go to, right? Amen. As long as you go to a church, no, that's absolute ridiculousness. In fact, specifically, and go back and watch this on podcast and YouTube and Facebook, specifically because in the last days, the Bible said there would be an event that takes place called the, the great apostasy or the great falling away. Jesus said in Matthew 24, many will depart. Many will turn away from me. Paul said in the last days, many will depart from the true faith. They'll follow after the spirit, the teachings that come from demons and chase after teachers that will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. So basically, I could, there's so many scriptures that go on and on and on, but in the last day specifically, what Paul said was you would see a rise of false doctrine. What is this false doctrine going to do? It's going to snatch people out of the hand of Jesus and lead them straight to hell. It's going to snatch them out of the fire. It's going to snatch them out of faith. It's going to snatch them out of the word of God, and it's going to lead them straight to being lethargic, and they'll stand before God, and he'll say, because you were neither hot or cold and you were lukewarm, I vomit you out of my mouth. We had a person that used to go to church here say, oh, I went to a new church, and our new pastor taught us that we don't even have to, we don't have to increase our faith. We don't even really need our faith. I mean, saying the most ridiculous stuff, I'm telling you, that's demonic. That's demonic. That's a devil. That's a doctrine that comes from demons. Say endured. So he goes on to say, you have examined the claims of those that say they're apostles, but they're not. You've discovered that they are liars. And then he says this, you have patiently, patiently suffered for me without 
quitting. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. He said in verse 3, I'm sorry, verse 2, your endurance. Say endurance. Write that down. What does Jesus commend? Endurance. Endurance. I don't want to go through all, all of this scripture, but I do want to read this in Matthew 24. A reality here. Reality check. Jesus said concerning the last days. And I'll also say this as well, that the Bible teaches that the signs, he gave signs of the second coming, and he said that these signs would be like a woman's birth pains. Anybody had a wife that's given birth or any women in here ever given birth? You know how contractions work. They start out light. They start out far and few and in between. And as the delivery comes, what happens? The contractions get more intense and closer together. So he said that these signs would function in the same way, that as the return of Jesus Christ comes and gets near, that these, these things are going to begin to happen. They're not going to back off. It's going to get more intense and more intense and more intense. Some of these signs specifically is this. You will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. Guys, can I tell you that we will experience great revival in this nation, but as the return gets closer, the persecution's not going to get lighter. It's going to get harder. More Christians are going to get killed as the return of Jesus Christ grows near. More Christians are going to get arrested, persecuted, killed. You will be hated all over the world because you're my followers. Many will turn away. Say, turn away. There's that great apostasy I was talking about. This ain't talking about unbelievers. This is talking about people that once belonged to Jesus turning away from Jesus. And in fact... He says later in the book of Revelation to one of the churches, he says, I'll erase your name from the book of life. Do you, that should really put the fear of the Lord inside of you to think that Jesus can erase our name from the book of life. You can have your name in there today, but just because it's in there today doesn't mean it's going to necessarily be in there next month or next year. Just because you were on fire at one point doesn't mean that your eternity is always secure. Many will turn away from me. And why will they turn away? Specifically because of the false doctrine that's preached in the last days. Doctrine of demons. And I'm going to show you, man, it just gets more and more intense with this and specific as we go on. But he says, Many will turn away, betray, and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all the nations will hear it, and then the end will come. Say endures. Endures through what? Persecution, being arrested persecuted and killed, enduring through people departing from the faith, turning on one another, the world hating you. It doesn't say the Christian that compromises. It doesn't say the church, the second the government begins to threaten arrest, threaten prosecution because you refuse to lock down or you refuse to shut your church down, 
The one that compromises will be saved. No, he says the one who endures through the end will be saved. You've got to get this in your spirit tonight. And I feel resistance in this room. I want you to hear me right now. You need to get it in your spirit tonight. You will not quit ever again. You cannot quit. You cannot quit the faith. You cannot quit obeying the word of God. Some of you that you've left churches in the past and you've went into a time of isolation, you can never do it again. You have to keep your fire lit. You have to stay obedient to the Lord because the, he said only those that endure to the end will be saved. And in fact, he said in Revelation, you're going to see this theme to all of the letters. He said, he said this here. Anyone with ears to hear, verse 7, must listen to the Spirit to understand what he's saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. You're going to see this theme through all these letters that, that Jesus is writing to these churches that endured persecution. And in fact, one church we're about to read about in a moment. They were heavily persecuted. The, the Christians in that first century were getting killed left and right drug out to stakes, burnt alive. Jesus said, many of you are about to be put into prison. But he said this, if you don't quit, I'll give you tree. I'll give you fruit from the tree of life. If you allow yourself to go to that prison cell and you don't deny me, you don't forsake me, you don't stop obeying me, and you persevere and endure through that persecution, then you'll be saved. Y'all, we water salvation down way too much. We make it way too watery. We make it way too light. Whenever, I'm going to tell you, salvation is free, but it'll cost you your entire life. There's actually a section in the Bible called the cost of being a disciple. Sell everything that you have. Hallelujah. The cost of being a disciple, this is one of the different accounts. This is in Luke chapter 14. A large crowd, verse 25, was following Jesus. That's literally the title of the paragraph. Did you know there's a cost of following Jesus? He turned around and said, if you want to be my, if you want to be my disciple... Right? I want you to get this. Jesus said anyone can come, but there's stipulations. Anyone can be a Christian, but there are stipulations. You got to get free. You got to get saved. You got to live holy. You have to keep your garments white. He said, if you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you don't carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Basically, to paraphrase this, what was Jesus saying? There's a cost for being his disciple. It's your entire life. It's everything. Carrying your cross, it wasn't just metaphorical. 
right? Well, I like to eat chocolate cheesecake, and I ain't going to eat it today because I'm picking up my cross and following Jesus. No, he was literally talking about following him to the point of death. When Jesus was talking about the cross, was it metaphorical for him? No, it was very literal because he literally died on a cross. You must follow me to the point of death. Why did he mention your mother, your father, your brothers, your sisters, your wife, and your children? He said, you must follow me even if they oppose you. Even if your mother opposes you, you must follow me and do what I say. Even if your wife, if your children, if your mother, if your, if your father, your brother, your sister, you must deny everyone else by comparison, even your own self. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Come on, somebody. Y'all may think, well, this is elementary, but is it really? Because what do you have is a bunch of Christians that have never even stepped into level one of discipleship, which is denying yourself, laying it all down. Well, you know, you can be a Christian and you can live with your boyfriend and your girlfriend. No, you can't. You can't. Because the word of God says that you can't. And to deny yourself is to deny what you think, deny what you feel, deny what's even most convenient to you. Well, Brother John, you don't understand. You know, we don't have a lot of money. It makes more sense for us to get together even though we're not legally married and live in a mutual place and pull our funds together. You've got to deny even your own human reasoning and cause it to submit to the word of God and say, no, I will not do that because I've denied myself. I've denied my life to obey the word of God. Hallelujah. Are y'all with me this morning? Deny yourself to obey the word of God. I mean, it's just applicable all across the board. Tithing. The Bible teaches the tithe. I'm going to tell you right now, if I wasn't a pastor and I went to a church, the pa- I would, it wouldn't matter. And I, I mean, literally, I'm preaching to the choir. You guys are amazing, faithful, giving people. I don't look at every little single thing. that I don't know, but as a whole, I believe that you guys are faithful with this. No one would ever have to ask me to take up a, an offering if I was sitting in those chairs because I've read it, I've seen it in the Word, and, and I would do it whether someone took it up or they didn't because... I've denied myself, and I've submitted my life to the Word of God. Well, Brother John, you don't understand. You know how much easier life would be if I didn't tithe? I mean, that's just so stupid to even think like that. Would it be easier? Who knows? Who cares if it would be easier? I don't care if it makes it extremely hard. That's what he said to do. That's what I'm going to do. Hallelujah. Don't forsake assembling together. These are basic Christian doctrines. That means that whenever the the saints are gathered together for the preaching, the teaching of the word of God, I make it a priority to be there. I hear people say, well, my job won't let me be there. You know, I understand sometimes this or sometimes that, but I'm talking like, you know, you can't come to church for six months because you work every single day of the week. Guess what? You need to deny yourself. Deny yourself. Well, this is the only job that I got. Well, I would rather have no job and obey the word of God or just simply use my faith and get a job that allows me to obey the word of God and make money. Are y'all still with me? So deny yourself. Look what he says. Don't begin until you count the cost. Jesus never watered down discipleship, and he didn't water down salvation. He didn't go around just trying to preach to get a, gain a nice following on uh, of people, an entourage that made his ministry look big. 
No, he told people the reality. You cannot, if you don't want to do this, you can't be my disciple. He says in verse 33, you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything that you own. Say everything. Everything that you own. You know, people have a, we're just talking about tithing for a minute. You think about that. In, in American Christianity, people have a problem with tithing. If you were alive when Jesus was walking the earth, they didn't give Jesus a tithe. In order to be his disciple, they gave him everything. They sold everything that they had. Whenever he called Peter, what did he do? He left his fishing boat. He left his father. He left his home. He left everything that he had. What did he say to the rich young ruler that wanted to follow him? Sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. Then come follow me. That there was one requirement to be a disciple. You had to literally walk away from everything in your life to follow Jesus. But we don't do that nowadays. Now we do Jesus Incorporated. I got my life, my will, my plans, my purposes, my pursuits, and I try to fit Jesus into it when it's convenient. And I'm telling you the God honest truth, if that's what you do, you will not go to heaven. Oh, pastor, how can you say something like that? Then why don't we both compare what we both believe and then on judgment day we'll, say, we'll see who's right. And you better hope that you're right if you disagree with me. You better hope that you're right if you disagree with me. Go back to Revelation chapter 2. So he says, say endured. Endured. Say persecution is guaranteed. Look at John chapter 15. I'm sorry, I just want to hit on this too. John chapter 15. If you really got the spirit of the Lord, especially in these last days, persecution won't be, maybe, it's a guaranteed fact. And if you're not getting any of it, then you're not doing something right. If no one hates you, you're not on the devil's radar. I'm telling you right now, just the God honest truth. If no one hates you, and I'm not talking like they hate you because you slapped their, their dog across the face or whatever, shot their pet cat. Look what Jesus said. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. Did you know that the world hated Jesus? Right? We all think, well, if I was just more like Jesus, all these people would be my best friends. Really? Because he came, the son of God who was perfect, the son of God who was the best teacher, who was full of love. There is no person that showed more mercy, more kindness, more grace. There was no better pastor, no better apostle, no better prophet, no better teacher or evangelist than Jesus Christ. And he came and they still hated him and they rejected him. In fact, many, the, they, the, the, the son of God, the word of God in the flesh was standing right in front of them and they were too spiritually blind. They couldn't see God staring them right in the face. 
If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if it belonged to you, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Let me tell you something. If the world loves you, it's because you have the same spirit as the world. If you hop on your Facebook and the people that are advocating for 63 million babies to be aborted agree with the things that you're saying, there may be a problem. There maybe should be a red flag saying, why do all of these people, why do these people that I can click on their profile and they got middle fingers and, and 666 and witch hats agreeing with what I'm saying, that should be a red flag and a problem if the world doesn't hate you. Are y'all with me? I look at that. Whenever certain people start agreeing with what I say, I'm like, ooh, I don't know, man. Maybe I need to back up a little bit. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master since they persecuted me naturally. Say naturally. Naturally. What that means is when you got the spirit of God in you, you, won't gotta, you don't got to seek out persecution. Guess what? It'll come. Just like the sun shines, you'll get persecuted. Just like the wind blows, naturally, by nature, per, you will attract persecution because you have a spirit that the world hates. What's that spirit that the world hates? Truth. Say truth. What does the devil hate? He hates the truth. What does that spirit hate? It hates truth. Why? Because the spirit of truth is what will set this nation free. People don't want to hear the truth because of offense, but in actuality, the truth is what you need to hear because Jesus said you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. Naturally, he said, they will persecute you, and if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They'll do all of this because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. Persecution is a guarantee. I want to show you something actually here the Lord showed me. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is fresh off the press, so I don't even have this articulated out. I'm just going to do my best. Persecution is a guarantee, and I want you to get this in you too. Persecution sets the stage for the power of God. Persecution sets the stage for the power of God. You need to understand this. Number one, persecution is promise. So you don't, you don't need to shrink away from it. You need to press into it. You need to press into it because the Bible guaranteed it. If you start getting rejected, you start getting to the point where he said you'll be arrested, persecuted, and killed. They'll, they'll mock you. They'll insult you. They'll leave you out. All of these different forms of persecution. When that happens, you don't need to be thinking, what am I doing wrong? You need to think, oh my God, praise the Lord, I must be doing something right. Because persecution is not something to be backed away from. It's something to be pushed into because it sets the stage for the power of God. In Paul's thorn in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, let's go ahead and settle this too. Any believer that says, well, 
You believe in divine healing that God wants us to, God, Jesus paid the price for us to be healed in our physical bodies. What do you do about Paul's thorn? Well, pretty simple here. Let's identify what Paul's thorn was. This boasting will do no good, but I must go on. He said, I will reluctantly tell you about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside of my body, but I do not know. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. That experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I'll boast only about my weaknesses. For if I wanted to boast, I would be a fool in doing so because I would be telling the tr- I, I would not be a fool in doing so. I'm sorry, because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Praise the Lord. Even though I have received such wonderful revelation from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Say a thorn. He was given a thorn. Most people will say, well, that was sickness, that was disease, Paul was sick. No, he was given this thorn. What was this thorn? He goes on to say, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away, and each time, look what he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Say weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. What was this weakness? What was this thorn? That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses. That is in the insults. Say the insults. Guess what Paul's actually saying? He said, the Lord said, my power works best in weaknesses. You can replace the word weakness with any of these words. My power works best when you're insulted for my name's sake. Say insults, hardships, persecution, troubles. Did he mention sickness and disease there? No, he mentioned persecutions, insults, hardships, troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So get this. Paul was being persecuted. Paul was being insulted. Paul was being threatened with his life every single day. Paul stood for truth, and there was a spirit that hated that truth and did everything that they could to kill him, to shut him up. And he went to the Lord and said, Lord, take this away from me, all this persecution. And the Lord said, no, Paul, because my power works best in the midst of the persecution. So what does our flesh want to do when we start getting resistance, when we start getting pressure and persecution? We want to push away, but we should really push into it because the persecution is the stage for the power of God. Basically what I'm saying is in your life when you're getting persecuted for righteousness, for Jesus Christ and for truth, get ready because you're about to see the power of God. Get ready because you're about to see breakthrough. Get ready because you're about to see miracles. Get ready because you're about to see provision. Because the anointing, that word power, it's the word dunamis, dynamis, dynamite. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power. It's the anointing of the Holy Ghost. My anointing works best through you when you're in situations when you're persecuted. Why is there no power in the American church? You know why? There's no persecution in the American church. 
Why is there no persecution in the American church? Because the American church doesn't preach anything to be persecuted against. And because they're not being persecuted, there's no power. Power sets the stage for the power. I'm sorry, persecution sets the stage for the power of God. Another example of this, Acts chapter 4. Believers pray for courage. Peter was just in prison. He gets freed from prison. He gets together with the other believers. In verse 29, look what he says. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. You know what your prayer should be when pressure is applied against you? Boldness. Boldness. Everything in you is going to want to shut up. Everything in you is going to want to back down. Everything in you is going to want to roll over. But if you're going to pray a biblical prayer, what you should do when you're persecuted, what you should do when there's pressure, what you should do when, when the enemy's coming against you, coming against truth, you need to lift your hands and say, Father, give me boldness in preaching your word and preaching the truth. And then look, stretch out your hand with healing power. Say power. Many miraculous signs, wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. The persecution set the stage for the power of God. Revival broke out through Jerusalem. Guys, can I tell you also, write this down. Persecution drives the purposes of God. Persecution will push you into your destiny. Jesus prophesied and said, you'll be my witness telling people about me everywhere in Judea and Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You shall receive power when the Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When you read further in the book of Acts, guess what happened? Persecution happened. They were in Jerusalem. Revival broke out. How did they face this persecution now? People like Stephen's being martyred. Peter's being thrown in prison. They're not getting mean Facebook posts. Their lives are in jeopardy every single day. Being killed for the gospel, being killed for the truth. They push into boldness and they see the power of God and this persecution, the devil tries to slap his hand on Jerusalem to stop the church and what happens? It says the believers begin to spread and flee. Guess where they fled? They fled to Jerusalem. They fled to Judea. They fled to Samaria and the power of God went with them. The devil's persecution caused the prophetic, of the, prophetic word of the Lord to be fulfilled. The devil's persecution caused the prophetic word of the Lord to be filled. Your persecution will push you into your destiny. If you won't back away from it, but you'll push into it, you'll see miracles, you'll see the power of God, and you'll see that as you push in, the devil's pushing you, literally pushing you right into the destiny that the Lord's prophesied over your life. Come on. Y'all don't shout me down. There's been times lies come at us, and I'm telling you, there was a week or two ago where I went out to pray about the Lord, and the Spirit of the Lord came on me, and I began to laugh in the face of the devil. 
which I could get into this whole thing, right? Everybody thinks, John, we, you just need to shut up. You need to back down. You don't need to confront stuff. No, you do. And biblically, I could prove it to you frontwards and backwards that that's what Paul did and that's what he instructed us to do as well. And in fact, as you read through these seven letters Jesus wrote to the seven churches, you'd have a hard time holding that theology that we just don't confront lies. No, you do. What do you think that Paul meant when he said, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty for the pulling down of strongholds of human reasoning? Go take any theologian and study that passage out. Taking every thought captive that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. That wasn't just talking about thoughts in your own head. That was talking about in a culture, any lie that begins to get exalted above the gospel and the truth of the word of God. As a Christian, you don't only have a suggestion. You have a commandment to counter it, to attack it, and to pull it down and to replace it with the word of God in that culture to those people and to that city. Why do you think they got persecuted for being friends with everyone? They didn't get persecuted, killed, drug out of synagogues, put on trial because they were running around trying to please everyone, making sure no one was upset. They were confronting lies with the truth. They were confronting doctrines of demons with the truth. That's the church of this last hour. Come on, somebody. The reason the Bible said in the last days you'll see this happening, you'll be persecuted, you'll be killed, is because the Lord prophesied that in the last days the church would be a bold church that stood for truth. In their time, in their generation, we need to stop beating around the bush, you know, and I'm, I'm not, we don't got a problem with it here, but most churches, they start saying stuff like, that politician has a devil spirit. You start saying stuff like that, watch the church house empty out. Every little liberal person that's got the spirit of the world, they don't want to hear it. That needs to be left. Let's leave politics to politics, business to business, and church to church. Let me tell you something. That ain't the Bible. In fact, you're about to see that Jesus literally rebuked a church and said, you let that Jezebel that false prophet go around and, and deceive people and you didn't say anything about it. You better repent or I'll remove your lampstand. Man, you don't let that kind of, you don't let the devil just run his mouth and lie. I'm going to tell you this too. I've, I've been in this a little bit, not a long time, a few years, but I've seen a lot in a few years. And I've always lived with this mindset that this is what the flesh wants. When something happens, your flesh will tell you, leave it alone, and it'll just take care of itself. Well, it won't. Yeah, your flesh will tell you that. Leave it alone, it'll go away on its own. And I'm telling you, it never does. Paul said, yeast that's left unattended will spread through the entire batch. You must remove the wicked person from among you, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You know what the real thing is to do? Confront the lies with truth, cut it, cut it off at the legs and draw the line in the sand. And anybody that wants to stand on this side of the line, you feel free. And anyone that wants to stand on this side of the line, you feel free. But we're going to stand with our convictions and we're going to stand with the truth of God's word. Hallelujah. Say boldness. 
boldness. Push into the persecution. It's promised. It's guaranteed. And, and tell your flesh, when your flesh starts getting afraid because of the pressure coming against you, just begin to rejoice. That's why Jesus said, rejoice. Yes, leap for joy when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, for there is a reward that awaits you in heaven. Just begin to rejoice and take joy in it because you know the devil, your flesh might say, oh my gosh, you, you know, back up, shut up, stop, roll over, play dead, do whatever the devil wants you to do, compromise, give in, don't offend, don't say, don't speak, no, push into it. I began to pray the other morning and I just got hit with the joy of the Lord and I began to laugh because I said, Lord, all the devil's doing is making me more angry. And making me want to pray more, making me want to fast more, making me want to be more bold. That if this was his plan to get me to shut up and to stop, that he's doing the opposite because it's pushing me to be more bold. Because now more than ever, I see that people are not ready to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. I knew that there was a spirit. In Angelina County, that I'm not exalting the devil, but now more than ever I see that people are not ready. They don't know that Jesus, that they claim that they think that they know. They don't know the Jesus that wrote these seven letters to these seven churches. You don't tolerate evil people. Do you know the Jesus that doesn't tolerate evil people? I'm going to tell you something tonight. Don't tolerate what Jesus doesn't tolerate. If Jesus don't tolerate it, you don't tolerate it. Hallelujah. Y'all give me a few more minutes and we'll be done. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 2. I want to finish this. So he's commending them for all these things. You've discovered these false apostles. They're really liars. You've patiently suffered for me without quitting. You don't tolerate evil people. He said, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Y'all, I'm going to tell you that this is crazy. I told you there is a literal interpretation of this, a personal interpretation, a prophetic interpretation. Did you know literally, historically, the Ephesian church, Jesus gave them this warning. You don't love me and you don't love each other like you did at first. Go back, do the things that you did in the beginning. If you don't, I'll remove your lampstand. Did you know, not only was he talking to individual Christians saying, you have to heed to this, and if you don't, I will literally erase your name in heaven. You'll see coming up at another sermon. Historically, that church was removed off the map. They didn't repent. They didn't heed to the words of the prophet. They didn't heed to the words of Jesus. And guess what? That church didn't exist years later. God came and moved his hand and took his church, plucked that church off the map. So don't tell me when prophetic words start coming out against other churches and the Lord dealing with stuff. I don't want to hear that. That's not in the Bible. You need to start reading the Bible because it literally happened. It's already happened in history. New Testament, new covenant. Jesus warned them. They didn't listen. He literally removed their church off the map. 
They didn't repent historically. The, the Ephesian church did not repent. But he said, you don't love me or others as you did at first. What was this talking about? I was listening to some historical context here. And I could break it down. What does it mean to love God? What does it mean to love each other? But really, historically, in context, the most accurate thing here is, is the Ephesian church, historians will tell you, it became a professional church. What do I mean by professional church? In its day, it had the best lights, the best, I mean, like, let's translate it to today. They had the best lights. They had the best screens. They had the best sermons. They had the best way to, the assimilation process to get people plugged, to get in, get out, get a little message, get a little tickle. They knew how to do church professionally. They were great. They were a professional thriving church in the thriving city of Ephesus. They were their version of a seeker-sensitive church, what we would call in the modern days. Jesus came to them and said, repent. You don't love me, and you don't love each other. You don't love me. You've become a professional church, and in doing so, you've compromised the word. You've compromised the spirit of God. You've compromised the things that I've clearly told you to do, and ultimately, you've compromised the truth because it's more about getting butts in the seats than pleasing me, and if you don't repent, I'll remove your lampstand from among its place. Guess what? They didn't. Guess what Jesus did? Wiped them off the map. That's why I can speak the word prophetically that in these last days, God is uprooting the seeker-sensitive movement. That will not be the movement that leads this nation and leads the world into revival. I can say it prophetically, and I can also say it scripturally, backing it, that it's already been prophesied and done in the scriptures. That type of place will never stand. It's here today, and it's gone tomorrow. Wow, what do you mean? They got the best. Wow, doesn't, doesn't the elevation got the 45,000 people? Yeah, but you won't stand up and rejoice when Roe v. Wade's overturned? John, I think you're being too critical. No, I think that Jesus Christ is telling them, you better repent. You do it very professionally. You don't stand for truth. I told you even with churches shutting down, the Lord told me that there was really only two reasons There's a few reasons why a church shut down. Number one, they didn't believe the Word of God. The Bible clearly teaches divine promises against sickness and disease and plagues and pestilence. Psalms 91, it clearly teaches that, does it not? Now, whether you want to, to the extent that you want to believe it, that's your business, but the Bible clearly teaches it. If a Christian really believes the word of God and stands in faith, that we don't have to fear the disease that stalks in the darkness, and though a thousand fall at your side and 10,000 die around you, these evils will not touch you, why would you shut your church down because there's a, a, a pandemic? Why would you if you believe the word of God? So number one, either you don't believe the, God, uh, don't believe the word of God, or number two, you're not afraid of a disease, but you've put such a spirit of the world in your church. You know, if you don't shut down, half of your liberal congregation is going to leave and go somewhere else. So you compromise the word of God 
For the love of money being the root of all evil, for your own platform, for your own kingdom, for your own little temporary existence of 50 years on the earth, and I'm telling you right now, it's here today, it's gone tomorrow. Many of those people will stand before Jesus and he'll say, depart from me, I never even knew who you were. You did all of it. You may, Man, I had the best services, the biggest services, the best worship song, the best worship team in town, and he'll say, but I, depart from me, I never even knew who you were. It's the word. I'm telling you the truth tonight. They had become a professional church. Stay on fire. I'm going to tell you this, this last word here. Man, I didn't even get to the exciting part. I was so excited to tell you about he said this statement next. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans just like I do. Man, I was so excited to preach about that. Most Christians don't have that word hate in their vocabulary. You say the word hate, they're like Dracula with sunlight. You know, they just, they, they have no place for that. But yet this is the Jesus of the New Testament. And guess what? Well, that word hate, maybe that's a more, maybe that's a, that, what translation are you reading? Look at the Greek word. Hate, it means what it says. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. Okay, so stay on fire. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. I can just tell you this. Their only type of Christian that's going to heaven is an on-fire Christian, one that keeps their lamp burning. There were ten virgins. They all had oil in their lamps at one time. The, the bridegroom was delayed. It says that they fell asleep. Five of them brought extra oil. Five of them did not bring oil. When they heard the trumpet blast, when they heard the bridegroom was coming, they got up, found that they had no oil in their lamps. They ran to go grab oil. They First they said, can you give us some oil? The other five that had it said, no, get your own. While they were gone, the bridegroom came, took them into the wedding feast. They come knocking on the door. He opens the door and says, depart from me. I don't know who you are. I, would, I will that you would either be hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, I'll vomit you out of, your, out of my mouth. Say hot. Why would he rather you be hot? Because there's only one type of Christian that, that, that the Lord receives. It's a Christian who is on fire. It's a Christian who did what Jesus said in the beginning, who counted the cost and laid it all down to follow him. I'm not here to serve me. You're not here to serve you. We're here to serve Jesus Christ. We're here to build the kingdom of heaven on this earth. We're here to be about our Father's business. That is the only type of person that God receives. But he said, I would also rather you be cold. Why would he rather you be cold? Jesus said, if the light that you think that you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. If you're cold, at least you know it and you're not deceived. I would rather you be a sinner or I'd rather you be a saint. If you're a sinner, at least you know that you're a sinner and you know that you need me and you're not deceived. But if you're right in the middle where you're not hot, right, you're not on fire, but you think that you're not really a sinner and you got religion and you think that you're okay because you got baptized when you were six years old, but you spent your whole life living in a backslidden condition and you're in this lukewarm state, he says he'll spit you, he'll vomit you out of his mouth. 
Y'all think, oh, Jesus just accepts all things. No, there are things. There's people, there's churches, there's communities that literally would make Jesus throw up today. Oh, I just love it all. I tol- No, it literally makes him throw up, hates it. Stay on fire for the Lord. Every day, every week, look at your life. Give God praise offering every day. Well, I don't really feel the joy. Who cares? You don't have to feel the joy to praise God. That's why it's a praise offering. Lord, this is the day you've made, and I'm just going to take 30 seconds today as I'm at work, 30 seconds today as I'm walking out to my car, 30 seconds today, and I'm going to praise you because I'm going to keep my fire lit on the inside of me. I'm going to keep my oil burning, and I'm never going to let myself get into lethargy where I think I don't need your word. I don't need your church. I don't need to go to special meetings. I don't need people to lay hands on me. I don't need any of that because I got me, myself, and I and my own thing going on. I'm telling you you're going to be lethargic and he'll vomit you out of his mouth if you have the spirit of God you'll love what he loves guess what Jesus loves his bride don't tell me oh I'm good I got my own thing going on but you don't have a heart for what he has a heart for if you love Jesus and you have his spirit you'll be you'll be you'll want to be around where he's at he said, we, we, you are the temple of the Holy Ghost, but we collectively are the temple. We are stones together that make the temple of the Spirit of God. What does that mean? When believers get together, guess what? The Spirit of the Lord is here. Where two more gather in my name, there I'll also be. The Spirit of the Lord is here. How can you say you love him, but you never want to be around him? You never want to be in his presence. You never want to be in the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Don't deceive yourself. Just figure out where you stand. Am I hot or am I cold? If I'm cold, I ought to repent and get on fire for the Lord. And if I'm hot, I better stay hot. Hallelujah. Finistake had these notes here. If this warning, so remember, he said, repent, look how far you've fallen, turn back to me and do the works that you did at first. Y'all, I mean, I could just go on and on, but you need to look at your life. Has, has your spiritual hunger increased or decreased? When you first got saved, when you first, you had that, if you've never had that first love experience with the Lord, that you need to get serious about it. Maybe you've only ever had a religious experience. If you've never had that time where you were born again, I mean, and you know it, everything changed. I was hungry for God. That You can look back and say, I used to just be so hungry for the word. I couldn't get enough. I couldn't spend enough time in his presence. I couldn't be at church enough. Look at your life now and compare it to what you did at first. Has the Bible gotten boring to you? Has it become religion man-made rules that you just got to show up to church and that's how you'll know if you start losing that fire the devil will start telling you that's just a bunch of man-made rules anyways and you'll start trying to convince yourself how to get out of the things of God 
But Dake said, if this warning was true to an entire church, how much more for the individual believer? Amen. Praise you, Jesus. I'm going to pray over you, and then I want to take up our tithes and offerings tonight, read you a couple testimonies. Father, I thank you for boldness. I thank you for a restoked fire in this house in the mighty name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that this is not a compromised people. This is a bold people. This is an army that you're raising up. In these last days and these last hours that will have boldness, they will stand and they will not quit. Father, I pray what they prayed in Acts chapter 4, that as we push further and this world tries to push against us and reject us and persecute us, I pray this, Lord, stretch out your healing hand. Stretch out your hand with healing power and may many signs, wonders, and miracles be done through the name of your servant, Jesus Christ, and give us great boldness for preaching your word in this house. Give us great boldness to stand against the lies of the enemy. Hallelujah, Lord, I thank you for impartation in this room in the mighty name of Jesus and everybody said, amen. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a shout of praise if you believe that tonight. Praise you, praise you, Jesus. Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.